0: Welcome to Sustainable Wellness's podcast. Here with us today, we have Rebecca McConville, a board-certified sports specialist and eating disorder clinician. She has spent her career helping athletes fuel and understand their bodies so they can perform at their best. As a former collegiate athlete, she understands how the drive for performance may lead to possible injury, performance decline, or loss of interest in sport. She recently wrote a book called Finding Your Sweet Spot, and it's a guide to help you keep your sweet spot by knowing how to balance your energy intake and your energy expenditure specific to your sport. She is currently a co-host for a podcast called Fit for a Queen, which is devoted to female athletes. Welcome, Rebecca, super glad to have you here with us. This is really exciting. This is, you're like a human treasure trove of information about, <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm excited. I've been really excited about um, reading your stuff and getting um, t- familiar with your approach and, and your take on um, fueling athletes, young athletes in particular. Um, and I've just recently read your book, Finding Your Sweet Spot, which is an awesome um Point of reference for parents and teens. Really, anybody can read the information. It's very approachable, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to to talk to you about this issue and, and and how do we help support our kids. But before we get into that, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just about you. Um, and so, uh, you know, I guess right now, I guess the one thing I'm kind of curious about is what is what does Rebecca McConville like to eat? What's your favorite thing to eat these days? Oh
1: man. Well, gosh, all the fresh produce right now. So peaches, we had somebody bring us a big box, big box from Georgia. So been having peaches. I like peaches with ricotta on them Ooh. and BLTs with some fresh tomatoes. And I've been on a kick with my um, having eggs on the everything bagels.
0: Mm-hmm. So.
1: Um, I grew up on a farm. My parents still have a farm. So I'm mm-hmm. blessed in the fact that I can have actually things that have came off the farm. So I like being creative there. And I always like a good sweet treat. <laughs> mm-hmm. So my dad, my dad ended up making fresh ice cream with those peaches. So he gave us some to take home. So we've been enjoying that at night. Oh, that
0: is, so good. <laughs> I know everything is like at its peak right now. Like the fresh mm-hmm. produce is, is going off. It's awesome. And then, so you're a mom and I'm a mom and everybody, there's lots of moms out there doing some serious mom in these days. And I'm just curious, uh, you know, I've read your book and I've, I've listened to your stuff and I just think it's really great. And I, I want to say like, I think when it, when we're kind of involved in this kind of work, when we're looking at nutrition and how do we help people have better relationships with food and their bodies and, and living inside of their bodies, um, what's, you know we can be studied up on it, but then when we become parents ourselves and in that in that kind of we're in the saddle of trying to figure out right. all this stuff all the stuff on a personal level. what's kind of one thing that you were throwing a curveball as um, as a mom like what's something that kind of surprised you when you when you it was your turn to make decisions for your child and
1: I think understanding that no matter how much you think you're going to try to set this perfect template up to have this the savvy, intuitive eater they, they do have little brains of their own.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and so, personalities, yeah. Exactly. Like watching. The other thing, too, I think that's been really helpful as a parent and clinician is—you know—my daughter would eat about any and everything. Um, one, she actually was preemie, so we had to break all the rules that was first set when she was born. They were telling me to feed her peanut butter go ahead and give her rice um, as a supplemental bottle so that she could get her weight up. So right there, it was already kind of like, oh, wait a minute. Everything I had planned is going to be shifting gears here. Then when she got amongst peers, the pickiness came out. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like trying to get her to eat whatever without becoming a short order cook. But I will admit, we all have our moments. We're like, fine, I'll just heat up pizza rolls. Just eat them. <laughs> 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 right. Being able to get her to be, um, you know, more adventurous with food has been fun. Like when we go out and I think really trying to engage intuitive eating principles from day one. Like I can remember one episode where she was on the couch and she was watching TV and eating like a snack. And I looked at her, I was like, do you even know what your food tastes like right now? Because she was just eating, eating, eating and staring at her TV. And she's like, no, I don't. And I said, exactly, you're inhaling that food and not savoring and enjoying it. Look at that yummy pizza. I think it was like birthday cake that we had had left over. And so it was nice to be able to kind of start at a younger age and really try to build those intuitive eating skills with so many kids and parents end up disconnected from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. All those kind of teachable moments in your real personal life, you know. So, right,
1: without shaming her. I would never want her to feel shame for it, but yet it it was a bad, a bad, excuse me, not appropriate behavior because I know she's distracted and she's eating way too fast going to choke. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Being able to stop her in the moment. Yeah. Um, And then how did you get
0: into this work?
1: Probably like a a lot of us, when we get into specialty fields, we can connect it on a personal level. And as a collegiate athlete, I really got invested in looking at what I ate and how it impacted my performance, but probably did take it a little too far. And so I think, again, that's been helpful as I can relate to how subtle the changes that I made were, you know, my parents didn't pick it up my doctor didn't pick it up my athletic trainer didn't and so but had they looked at a plus b plus c plus d they would have seen like oh she's struggling right now she's probably taken a little too far she's actually not performing as well on the court let's bring becca in and check in on how things are going so that's one of the things i really try to reassure my parents like don't put blame even the athlete themselves doesn't understand how they've gotten there let's just back up and let's figure out where things went off-road
0: that's yeah and what was your sport basketball okay and when you say it when you were referring to it are you talking about disordered eating or are you talking about
1: yeah underfueling?
0: Yeah. okay
1: yeah Down so it's... I, I missed my sweet spot <laughs>
0: but you found it now, you're talking about it now. And that's just as relevant as any time. So, well, that's awesome. And I appreciate the amount of information that you provide to people, because I can tell that you really, your heart's into this and you really care. And it's a growing, you know, I don't know. I think that there are more, um, I guess there's a growing incidence of REDS, but there's also a greater, um, amount of awareness around it. Um, I know, as a high school athlete myself, that I absolutely qualified um, in this category, and way on up into my thirties. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 good that there is more awareness about it. That the um, hopefully the the allopathic or the conventional medical model is picking up on um, how to look at this and how to um, assess. Uh, energy deficiency. So um, it's it's very encouraging and hopeful. And so parents and teens are really the ones that need the information, um, I think, the most. Coaches, too. Yeah, let's get into this first question here. Um, so fall is, a, fall is approaching, the season's going to change, and we're in the middle of a pandemic still. Um, you know, everything is kind of in limbo. And so what is a common theme that you see coming up for athletes that you're working with who um, you know who are looking into the fall and what what's something that you see coming up for lots of your clients
1: yeah <laughs> this has been really tough i have posted something this morning about like i really hope when these athletes get their return to sport physical that they're not just kind of shuffled through and just check the boxes because in a normal sports season, we have an end, right? And we have an off season. But what's happened is that finish line keeps getting pushed, keeps getting pushed back. And so we have under athletes that then are panicked that like, oh my gosh, if my sport is a go next week, I want to be game ready right now. And so I think we're the next epidemic is going to be a ton of injuries. Um, I think, with this loss of control, I mean, COVID really took our world and flipped it upside down. And so our culture sends these messages, like if you can control your food, if you can perfect that, or if you can do as much activity as possible, then you're good. You've got control of things, but right. in all actuality, you don't. Mm-hmm. And so those are some of the incidences I'm seeing in some of my athletes right now. Um, with another you know, season of unknowns, we don't know if there's going to be fall sports. So really trying to check in with them and asking them what kind of toll this has taken on their mental and physical health.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, right, that piece about control, I think that the one of the big experiences that we're all having with COVID is the, the uncertainty and that feeling of not having control over what was normal before, um, what we considered normal before. So Um, that's, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And I think that, you know, you're right. And I also think that too, there's an element of, um, using exercise as a form of escaping, Mm -hmm. um, and just not having the desire or the wherewithal to slow down and stop, um, and really sort of take inventory on how you feel. Um, just trying to get away from those feelings by, you know, running extra miles or, or going out and doing more and more stuff, whereas maybe your body really actually needs a rest. Um, And then what do you do when you have a rest day? Um, How do you feel? Are you miserable and just can't wait to get that over with and you're not really relaxing? So um, yeah, so let's see. Can you explain energy availability, low energy availability and then um, red S to, to the listeners?
1: So I like to kind of use the analogy and I think I'm thankful that you said that my book was something that you could comprehend because that was the biggest goal is Mm -hmm. taking something that can be kind of complex scientifically, but yet put it in, I hate the word layman, but layman's terms. And so it's basically you have energy bills that you have to get paid. And so the body will figure out a way to compensate if you're not taking it enough to get those bills. So it may be at the expense of digestion, you may start having more intolerances, you may get fuller quicker. It might be it says, hey, reproduction is not necessary. And I know our adolescent athletes aren't, aren't gonna be worried about that, so it shuts it off. But the problem is that also starts that cascade of insufficient hormones for your bones. Um, your heart actually is dependent upon those hormones as well. And there was a recent study with Dr. Emily Krause that showed upwards of like 70% of high school runners had disordered eating. And when they did DEXA scans on those runners, they found that almost 20% of them had compromised bone density. We're talking adolescent, what's that gonna look like when they're 20, 30, 40, 50 years of age? And so that's where that term energy available what energy is left just in case you might be fighting off a virus or maybe you have a big test and your brain needs that extra fuel because if you don't have any available, it's going to pull it from somewhere else. And ironically, it doesn't tend to be at the cost of performance. The brain views that as a stressor just as if it was outrunning a bear, but that will continue to wreak that havoc on their, their health. So, the term REDS came from relative energy deficit in sport, is that chronic state of always being at a negative balance. Also, most recent literature now is showing that even in that acute three days, three days of insufficient energy. Is enough that we start to see changes in hunger hormones. We start to see changes in the body's ability to recover, um, including glycogen, which is our our gas tank. And so it's not like some of these overblown media stories. Sometimes it can be very subtle and it can end up in a short window. And there's simple strategies that I use with parents to help those things be more mainstream and not having to overthink it
0: that's good to look at like all the different factors that go into energy expenditure so it's not just training for your your event or your sport it's the emotional energy it's the 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 mental energy that you need and um, you know i guess the thing that's you know it was i wasn't until like my early 30s that someone explained that to me and the other thing i wanted to to touch on that you said was that you know 3 days that you start to, you know, three days of operating with low energy availability provides physical compromise. And I think that the more somebody dips into that, the more they're creating like a pathway or like a groove for Mm -hmm. later down the road. And it just becomes kind of an Achilles, you're kind of creating your own Achilles heel, your own.
1: Exactly. They're actually talking about that now where, um, you know, if somebody hits into reds for the first time they may be able to bounce back quicker but those that have done that more often they become more sensitive and so the body wants to be more protective and so it's longer and harder for them to get out and they may have more negative consequences quicker than maybe their teammate who who hasn't and I want to add I want to go back on a few things in the fact that you know unfortunately, it's only been a little over five years ago that they moved from the female athlete triad. So the only thing that was focused on was a yeah. weight change, menstrual cycle, and bone. Well, we know that there's tons of other organs that can get compromised. And hey, we forgot the males. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. male athletes are just as susceptible to having symptoms of reds as females. And so I think helping parents, helping athletes realize that your whole holistic health can be impacted by low energy availability.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We talked about this a little bit, but how have you noticed COVID impact low event, low energy availability in Red S and youth athletes in the last few months? Like have, yeah, how have you seen COVID and the pandemic and just all of the things that we're experiencing right now as a group of people, how have you seen that trend? Um,
1: So it's interesting. I saw in the first couple months, especially that control factor. So, oh my gosh, I can't get in the water or I can't do my sport. So either A, their stress increased their energy needs because, I mean, some of these kids were mourning and I don't blame them. They get towards the middle or the end of the season and now they're told like, hey, you don't get to go to state or you don't get to to compete in that last race. And so that emotional turbulence that they felt was really hard on their health. So what do they do, either have no appetite or they end up cutting their intake. Then as things started to resume or they were able to get out and about more, that's where we saw this significant increase in exercise. And the thing I wish, if we could go back, and again, no school, no athletic department could prepare for something like this. But mm-hmm. most of the time, these Division One sports or club sports have been unable to provide feedback or training plans for their athletes because it was mm-hmm. considered against rules. Well, then these these athletes are just out winging it and doing On
0: whatever.
1: And so they're probably high intensity, not taking rest, like you said, pushing it to the extremes. So that's what I've been seeing more recently is not enough adequate rest, not enough adequate down cycle in their, their training in those usual watch flies, the coach, the athletic trainer, their teammates haven't been there.
0: Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a, yeah, those are good, good points. And, and what, you know, Right now, what do you think an important thing is or things to do? What would be an important thing for coaches to do right now in, in light of all
1: this? I've been having them go ahead and reach out to their coach and ask him, like, develop a training plan. And then set some kind of micro goals right now so that they feel like they have something they're working towards, which also means that then they can have some recovery and rest afterwards mm-hmm. because it's that competitive nature and that competitive nature needs to be fed, but then it also needs to be put to bed for just a little bit afterwards
0: Yeah.
1: and being able to process and talk that through because I'm sure the coach and themselves is worried for their athlete because they don't even know what, what's going on. And I think... Again, then maybe add some science, like tell them like, look, more rest or not competing at a high intensity level is not going to undermine your fitness, undermine how good you are at your craft. And let's focus on technique. Okay. So, like when that first happened, I coached my daughters, um competitive team and so our last game of the season was gone and she's like well now what are we going to do and I was like well remember some of those things that we wanted to improve on your shot but we, we didn't want to do it in the middle of a season guess what now we have time and yeah. so we really worked on kind of perfecting some of those techniques when she had more the, the capabilities to do so. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's a
0: really important thing and Stacey Sims brings that up a lot when you're working with athletes who maybe need to take their training or their volume their volume or their intensity down um, you know the the worry that comes up with the group of athletes is that well i'm not going to be as uh talented or capable as, as you know in my sport, and the reality is working on techniques is a great way to to take the volume and the intensity down, but help them keep progressing as athletes. And um, that's not something that gets talked about a lot, but I love that she brings that up. I love that you bring that up because it's a, it is a really important thing and it does actually improve your skill sets um, in, in any sport that you're doing. It doesn't have to be a highly technical sport um, in order for you to get better at it. So.
1: And I love sharing, like, if you ever get the chance to get a sports psychologist, I remember one time Mm -hmm. we interviewed someone and she was talking about being able to be mindful and visualize. And they were shared how they did this research study on golfers that had had shoulder injuries, which is very common in that sport. And so they're unable to lift, they're unable to swing a golf club, but by simply, being able to go through that visualization exercise, they were still activating the nerve endings within those muscle fibers Uh and being able to perfect their technique with hand grip. So when they came back, they were only about 15% short on their drive simply because they created muscle memory and activation. Yeah. Yep. I have have heard similar
0: stories like that. I listened to this Olympic. I, I can't even remember what her sport was, but I listened to her talk At this conference I went to where she just she had a back injury she was waylaid she was but she was going to the Olympics she had qualified and so she uh did a lot of visualizing while she was laying in bed (laughs) she ended up getting like a bronze medal it was so so inspiring and I was like whoa that's pretty cool but then also that piece about being inside of your own body and just that mindfulness piece of like I've actually been really been trying to do that a lot lately because I know my stress level is like at a 9.9 right now. And I'm like, but I still need to exercise because it makes me happier. I know that. But if I'm running and I'm thinking about all the things I'm stressed out about or that I'm hard on myself because my pace isn't so fast, um, you know, just to just be like, Whoa, I am not, there is no goal other than just to be right here, right now, inside my body. You know, how do I feel? Do I need to slow down? Can I pick it up? What if I tried, you know, doing, changing my stride and, and being a little more efficient? And it just kind of, um, it, it changes the entire experience for me. So then when I get back and I have to go back to the hard job that I'm doing of raising my kids, I don't feel wasted. I'm like, oh, I actually have energy for you guys. Cool. <laughs> Um, and then I wanted to ask you what's the relationship between red S and the prevalence of eating disorders Um, are eating disorders always present when red S is discovered
1: oh great question that's one topic I've tried to be more vocal about because two things no just because somebody has reds does not mean they have an eating disorder sometimes it's simply a lack of understanding on the demand of their sport or um, I just had somebody in today that, um, had had a bump up in training and he just wasn't aware, like how much his body needs. Cause he's still actively growing, mm-hmm. um, lots of different variables, or maybe sometimes, um, I saw this a lot with runners where they're used to their miles per week. So they kind of plan according to that. But then when track comes, their mileage goes down, but intensity goes up. They're not realizing that even intensity requires more energy. So Sometimes they use a simplistic just analogy of like using the fit principle. If your frequency has changed, we probably need more fuel. If your intensity has changed, the time, the type, okay. Then if they struggle with making those changes to get back to their sport or get healthy in their sport, that's when you start to flag and identify that there may be an eating disorder component because we probably have hit on the psychological component. We are raising their anxiety or their OCD, they're becoming more rigid. And so being able to screen and assess them for that, somebody with an eating disorder can have reds and then vice versa. And at that point though, they need the full treatment team. They need the therapy. They need a a physician that or athletic trainer that is savvy and knowing eating disorders. Um, Because sometimes too, that increases depression, that increases those anxiety and they they need that help and support.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep yep um i think that that happens so often that you know like young people they've got their phones they've got access to social media and then we've got lots and lots of corporate corporate interest who's um providing multi-million dollar um advertising campaigns around products that are like claiming that they can Do this and that and the other thing. And so people get really, really confused about food and their body. And um, I find it to be infuriating um, and a huge disservice to young people. And so oftentimes, young people are left to their own devices and think that if they do all these perfect things, then it's going to equate to the perfect performance. And that's just simply not true. And just from a very basal level, there's a lot of young people that don't really know how much they're supposed to be eating or getting and then sometimes during a normal school day there just simply isn't enough time to get the food in.
1: (laughs) Um, In a course I teach it's fun I have a snapshot of like asking Google how much calories do I need as an 18 year old? And I have a range of 800 calorie difference. So I just shared with you, 250 calories is enough to disrupt energy availability. Yep. So imagine if you were trying to search what you need and that's the range that you get and all of it was geared towards weight loss. Mm-hmm. And of it wasn't even specific to a female athlete or male athlete. And then this is the first time that they're taking responsibility and we're seeing this shift in social media that it used to be, Experts were sought after to market products or market fitness routines. Well, now it's influencers, which Mm -hmm. athletes are one of the biggest influencers on social media. So I love using LeBron James. Most everybody, even if they're not a basketball fan, knows who LeBron James is. If you Google his diet trends and path, it's hysterical because he goes from doing One trend, then he did paleo and he talked about how his body composition changed. And then the latest one was a tweet about how he can pound French toast sticks with syrup and eat chocolate cake, yet dunk over your head. So I show him like, look, he's just as susceptible to fad diets as you are, but look what ended up happening. He had to be able to make sure he had enough sufficient energy, which meant being a little bit more flexible with what he ate and realizing that his body composition didn't matter, his performance is what mattered.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, and I think that too, I think this, and this happens within families, that we've got these marketers and these influencers, nobody's really talking about the, the, the way that being a youth changes that. They're really marketing towards adults, but young people are, you know, victim, I guess, I guess victim might be the right word or they're kind sure. of in times caught up in that, in that web. But then parents, I think, and I know that this is true for me as a parent, I'm always trying to check it at the door of projecting my health needs, like what I need to be eating and what my children need to be eating. And they're, they're different things because there's some really different things going on between <laughs> them and me. But I think a lot of parents feel like as a way of trying to help their young people, they're projecting their health issues or concerns onto their young people without really, like you said earlier, identifying that those young people are their own people
1: um, Mm -hmm. with their own
0: personalities, their own bodies. And um, so yeah, it's, it's, it can be kind of a double edged conundrum really. You know, and I think,
1: being able to empower them how to read between the lines so if it sounds very sensationalized whatever they're looking at instagram or are they showing flexibility within whatever their perfect little plates are they're going to be better off just like i talked about trying to plant that seed with my daughter and learn how intuitively same thing let them become a savvy consumer and teach them about how they're trying to target them so that they buy the product and does it actually work for them
0: I talked to my you'll see me in the grocery store walking down the aisles with my kids and we are talking about cereal and I'm like look at how that's right at your eye level and look at what that what is that are you gonna buy the cereal or am I gonna buy the cereal and I'm like pointing out like the label you know this is the stuff and this is you know these are the things that I do when I go through the grocery store with my kids because there's a lot of corporations out there that really don't care about people's health and they really just want to look at something that's kind of meh kind of so we were talking about the sort of the the marketing that goes into selling products to people, um, particularly young people. Um, but one of the places where I see this becoming bigger and bigger and bigger of an issue is uh, supplements. Holy can I? No, they, I mean there, like there, you supplements are really big business, and it's very important that you are working with a qualified professional who can help you assess what your supplemental needs are. I do think supplements serve a very important function, but not without appropriate supervision. Like you wouldn't just go popping prescription medication without, you know, a a physician's assist, like help. But at the same time, like there's things that are marketed on the shelf at the grocery store that have similar and just as powerful effects, but they're supplements and people just think, well, I can buy it over the counter. so. And, and, and like, I want to have healthier, you know, I want to avoid having low bone density. So I'm just going to take calcium. You know, I'm just going to take it because I'm 16 years old and I need to take calcium. So I don't have these problems. And it's like, no, that isn't right because you don't know until you do diagnostic work what those needs
1: are. I think you put it beautifully you wouldn't go pop in prescriptions without a physician recommending it and so that is one that you know I, I tend to be pretty flexible and meet my athletes where they're at but i will be very firm on supplements those are dangerous areas and i don't feel bad saying that especially with energy drinks so just today i had somebody and we were talking about supplemental use and I, he wants to swim in college and i was like well you have to make sure that you have an OSF um, safe for sport. Oh yeah. It's just a multivitamin. And I'm like, well, but actually we could show you case after case of multivitamins that have been cross contaminated Mm -hmm. um, substances. So that's first off. Second off is know what you're dealing with to begin with. So getting blood work, trying to get it from food first, it doesn't do any good to supplement if your body's already sufficient or for example, out a runner's like, okay, if I, if I've heard that iron is good for me, yeah, let's and email, I'm going to do like two or three times the amount. And she actually ended up with toxicity from too much iron.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing that people don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's just such a huge thing. And without good guidance, without somebody really developing like a supplemental plan for you based off of your individual needs, it, it can become a mess pretty quick. Right. Um, so, okay, check, found it. Found it <laughs> in my brain somewhere. Um, so how can parents best ensure that their kids and their teens avoid the common pitfalls associated with low energy availability and, and relative energy deficiency in sport?
1: So I think one, keep that watchful eye. If you notice some patterns changing, whether it's how much they're eating, the types of food they're eating, try to just be curious and be like, Hey, I noticed that, um, you haven't been eating as much of the red meat I'm fixing at dinner. Um, tell me why that is, is it upsetting your stomach? Do you not like the way I'm preparing it and let them share what they're, what they're experimenting with or exploring and then asking them, okay, are you ensuring that you have, I always look for lateral changes. If you're taking something out, What are you putting back in that's going to be the same equivalent? So it's like the bank, right? If we're going to take out um, money, we got to make sure we're depositing it in something that's going to be of the same equivalent. The other part is to make things be very consistent. So going back to lateral is I will have parents do a refrigerator drawer and I will have them do a pantry drawer. So if, you know, Susie comes home from school and she likes to grab her after school snack. Let's make sure they're kind of of the same composition. And all Susie has to do is go out in her pantry and the bars, whatever else, trail mix mixture is going to be about the same um, caloric density, same thing as they get into the refrigerator or maybe make a list for them. That has been a very subtle way I've seen people kind of miss the boat is they just end up, maybe eating the same amount of volume, but there's not as much density behind their their food.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And by density, you mean nutrient
1: density. Yes. Yeah. Lastly, if they are wanting to explore their nutrition, I think it's really important, like you said, to have them meet with the professionals. Sometimes the athletes are spot on. I'm like, I can support you and agree with that. Other times, let's say maybe they're wanting to go more plant-based or vegetarian, just ensuring that, whatever they're doing, they're getting enough of their needs. They're aware that, you know, even if their 35 year old aunt is doing that, they have different needs than her. And so they can't be just mimicking or whatever influencer that's on social media that they're, they're meeting their individual goals in mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think like those fat, those kind of trendy diets are sort of kind of you know becoming more of a thing like ketogenic diet and um the paleo diet and you know I think that especially for young people I just absolutely do not see how the ketogenic diet would work I mean I don't really see how it works for any person because if you're really doing it correctly one you're not supposed to do it for more than three months and two it wasn't designed for healthy people it was designed for other purposes and it So, but there's this confusion that it is a diet for me if I want to lose weight or you if you want to lose weight and, or have a a greater um, athletic potential. And, and that's just simply not true, but without guidance to even do that, to begin with, that is an incredibly hard diet to get into ketosis. Um, So the average person can't just pull that off.
1: Right. There's no reason any athlete should be on a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the Academy of Pediatrics two years ago clearly states that anybody 18 years of age or younger should not be put on any diet regardless of their weight because when you restrict them of calories, that is bone and brain development that they may not be able to get back because we know that bone mass must be developed and set by between 18 to 24 years of age and if we have hindered that we may not be able to catch that up later in life
0: yeah and i think that we have this like on a national level you know i'm thinking about my children in school and on a national level we've recognized that we have a very uh, a a very large population of people that are unhealthy and are, are overweight and so on a national level in the school system they have implemented these educational tools about food. And in my community where I live, we have a very active, healthy community, but they talk about food in a way that's really tricky, um you know, if you're just looking at like the food pyramid and these foods are good and these foods are bad and da 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 da, it gets people kind of like these young kids kind of anxious about food mm-hmm. and, like they're not really talking about the food, they're talking about foods you shouldn't like and foods that you should like and um, and it can be really tricky because later on down the road, that's where you know there's a seed planted in there about food, and um so then, if you have this Athlete with kind of a perfectionist personality coupled up with that early childhood educational experience, you kind of have this perfect recipe for, right. um, for somebody who might get into trouble more easily than others. So
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. So um, and then how can we support our kids to both love sports and have a healthy body image as they mature into adulthood? Like, you know, you've talked about some of the things that kids are experiencing these days and parents too i think that it's really important for parents to understand that and we have touched on this before that parents have to understand that their young people are people and that they really need to be listened to because food especially like you know the ages that my kids are at that relationship that they have with food can be a a a place where there's power struggles and those mm-hmm. power struggles develop right there in that, um, in that part of your life that then carry over down the road. And so if a young person gets into trouble and they really need help and they really need you to step in there, um, you know, I guess doing it in a way that makes sure that they know that you respect them and their judgment and that what they have to say and what they're going through is valuable because I think parents just want to get in there Fix it, and not really understand that the person that they're they're working with a person that has to be their person that they're fully responsible for. But just to step back and really listen to what this is, what is this like for you? How is this going?
1: Yeah, and I think leaving things open ended so that they have to continue to talk about it. And I think it starts from a younger age, empowering them in the kitchen, empowering the decisions, but also taking note when it's turned obsessive. Because I'll get that comment all the time. Well, it's great. They're in the kitchen. They, they heck, they cook dinner for the whole family. And I'm like, that's not typical. That probably means that they're wanting to take control of dinner.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: is why they're preparing meals for everybody all the time, and they're always in the kitchen. Right. And so, being able to say what's appropriate for that age, mm-hmm. um, you know, and continuing—I can't say that enough. Like Simon said, it, it starts with the why. Why are you doing that? And mm-hmm. if they go, uh, I don't know, well, let's sit down and talk about that a little bit more. I just want to make sure you have all the resources and tools that you can, so that you can be the healthiest son daughter and good at your sport healthiest always has come first
0: for yeah and for the duration not just for this year or next year but for the rest of your life and um i think a lot of times parents get worried and it is god worry is just such a normal part of parenting it's terrible and i got to, any young person out there any young person out there listening i just want to tell you that none of you were born with instruction manuals so if you want to like get mad about something don't get mad at your parents they really are doing the very best that they can and they love you to bits and pieces they do anything for you but there're oftentimes a little there's some confusion there around parenting and and a lot of times parents just shoot worry at their kids which is further disenfranchising that relationship and that open communication so right
1: absolutely
0: So, yeah, I think, well, that's all the questions I had.
1: Great, I love those.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you were here to answer them, and I really encourage anybody out there listening to pick up a copy of that book, and you read it, your young person read it, talk about it. Be like your own mini book club. It can be an excellent, it's kind of an inter, if you're looking at remote learning this year, (laughs) it's an awesome interdisciplinary uh, book. You know, you can talk about science, you can talk about anatomy and physiology. You can talk about, um, you know, just anything you, I mean, there's just a number of things you can talk about, but it gives you, you and your young person, a baseline for communication about things. So yeah. So follow Rebecca on social media, look at her website, look at all the things that she has to offer because she's just really putting out tons of good information with this really, clear understanding of the young people and I just love that you advocate for young people it's just it's super cool and any parent right now is uh is glad to have you doing that so
1: well, I appreciate and appreciate the opportunity to to work beside somebody like like you that's out there doing the same
0: yeah well happy 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 COVIDing, and uh <laughs> we'll uh we'll touch base with you another time